are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today we have with us in the studio Carolyn King. Carolyn is a kinesiologist and the author of Empowered Happiness. We'll be right back with Carolyn, but first let's talk about nausea. So last week I talked to you about having perimenopausal symptoms that were making me really anxious and a little bit paranoid. This week I want to share with you um, my nausea. So I felt really sick last night and woke up sicker today and was throwing up and I just figured food poisoning, I ate something wrong, blah, oh well, such is life. I started thinking about when I've been sick and what that has looked like and I trace back over the last month and a half. I have been sick three times, sick to my stomach with nausea, three times in the last month and a half. And so I thought that's a little strange and I'm having these other symptoms. So I looked it up At menopausehealthmatters.com, they say hormonal imbalance and perimenopause is one of the primary causes of digestive problems in women between the ages of 45 and 55. You do not have to be experiencing other symptoms of menopause to be experiencing digestive problems in perimenopause. Many women have reported that their healthcare professional failed to associate their digestive symptoms with perimenopause as they have not presented with any simultaneous menopause symptoms. And from 34menopausesymptoms.com, nausea, like many other symptoms of menopause, is caused by fluctuating hormone levels. Low estrogen levels can cause fluid retention, which can result in dizziness and bloating. Although uncommon, nausea may stem from these menopause symptoms. Symptoms such as nausea begin often during perimenopause, the first stage of menopause transition. Perimenopause generally begins in a woman's early 40s or early 50s. So, along with really high levels of anxiety. I'm having these nausea bouts and they seem to coincide with my monthlies. So I've been thinking about anxiety and and how that relates to nausea as well as depression. And I don't think that depression necessarily connects directly with nausea, but depression and anxiety and perimenopause are all things that seem to go together, especially for me. As I said last week, it makes me sad and concerned because the last time I had these symptoms, it was really emotionally hard and then was followed by three years of pretty serious depression. So I called a nurse hotline just to check it out and ask some questions and see what she thought. And the main thing she said, she checked through all my symptoms to see if it might be something else, of course. And then she recommended that I contact a gynecologist because most likely, yes, it is perimenopausal stuff. So given where things are, I think I'll, again, I I haven't made the appointment. I was sick, but I'll get in touch with my healthcare professional and just see what can be done. And that's, that's what I always recommend is reach out to whatever resources you have if you're having a hard time and not feeling well, whether it's physical, emotional, or both. In this case, it's both. So I hope you're all doing well this week. Today we have with us in the studio, Carolyn King. Carolyn is a kinesiologist and the author of Empowered Happiness. Hello, Carolyn. Welcome to the Depression Session. Hi, Laura. Thank you for having me. 
Thanks for being on the show. So you 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 hearken from far hinterlands. Where are you where are you calling us from? <laughs> I do. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. Wonderful. It's on the other side of the world. <laughs> <laughs> we're at different time zones right now. Totally different. <laughs> It is. What a wonderful world. So tell us a little about yourself. What's new with you? So I'm a kinesiologist and I have a practice. I have a clinic from my home, which is fantastic. I work around the kids. So I have um, a very supportive husband and two beautiful children, uh, a nine-year-old boy and an 11-year-old girl who keep me very busy with their soccer and dancing activities. I have, as, as you've mentioned, I've written a book called Empowered Happiness, but I've also, I'm co-authoring two books this year. Uh, one's called The Book of Inspiration by Women for Women, which is actually being launched now. So that, that is global. There are global contributors to that book. And I have another book coming out in about June, July. I'm a co-author for another book called She Leads. So I've, I'm doing a bit of writing. I do a bit of blogging and I'm just really enjoying I guess, seeing clients and just seeing the changes that I'm able to help clients get through my kinesiology practice. Yeah. And tell for my viewers who don't know too much about kinesiology, can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Sure. So kinesiology is a complementary therapy that, and what that means, it can work alongside any other therapist you're going to, including doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists. And what it is, we use an arm muscle or an indicator muscle in the body to let us know where the stresses are in the body. So those stresses can be related to, well, generally they're related to some kind of emotional issue, but there's also dietary stresses, learning issues, physical pain, uh, environmental issues. It could be absolutely anything. So what I love about kinesiology is that every single person that comes to see me gets a different session based on what they need. So there's no, there might be an overall protocol, but there's not a set set number of things we do for every single client because it depends on what they need. And it works from ages pretty much zero to 100, I guess. Um, I've worked on babies uh, when their mother's surrogated for them. I've worked on older people. So there's no age limit. There's no gender issue. And I just keep seeing phenomenal results. So I love it. Oh, that's fantastic. And then your new book, tell me the title again that you're co-authoring. Oh, the co-authoring, uh, Book of Inspiration for Women by Women. Yeah, okay. it's one of those day a page. You, you open up the book, you get a day of inspiration. There's about 360 uh, inspirational messages in there, all written by women for women so that we can just have something we can pick up. And, uh, yeah, that's getting launched now. So I'm waiting for them to come onto my front door so I actually have a copy in my in my hand. I can't wait to have one. <laughs> that sounds exciting. I'm actually writing a book with my mom. It's a process, I think. My book came, my personal book came about because I was trying to, I guess, figure out what I, how, how I had gone through my process. So I call myself an author now because I have published a book and I've always wanted to be a writer. That's a perfect segue into, so Carolyn, tell us the story of your depression. Sure. I guess my whole life, I never felt like I fit in. So school was very hard for me socially. And that was despite, I was always good academically. So I had no problem with learning issues or anything. I always, I had a great upbringing. Mum and dad are still together. There was no dysfunction. It was, you know, a fairly normal upbringing. Um, I was good at netball. I was good at swimming. Anything I did, I was physically good at. 
But when it came to socialising, I just always felt awkward. And I still remember one of my first memories of feeling that awkwardness was I was at school, we were in primary school, and I had a girl say, oh, did you hear this song? And I, trying to fit in, said, yes, I have. And she turned around and said, oh, you're such a liar. I made that up. And that was my first, um, I guess, my first memory of really not feeling like I fit in and I had that social awkwardness. And from that moment on, I never wanted to be different. I just wanted to sort of blend. I just wanted to fit in. And that went into my high school years. And I just, I didn't have the confidence socially, even to the point where I actually, I um, started dating a, a guy at school, one of the boys. I had a boyfriend and I broke up with him because I didn't know what it was like to have a boyfriend at school and I didn't want to upset my friends. I was that insecure. This was when I was about 17, 16 maybe 16. So it had been following me all my life. And when I was about 15, 16, I started branching out in my, I guess, my spiritual beliefs. I grew up Catholic and I started looking at crystals and aromatherapy, but I didn't know what to do with that because it was different to what my family believed. I then met my, when I was nearly 18, I met my current, my husband. So we met quite early so we've been together for a very long time and he slowly he was instrumental in helping me find who I was and being a little bit stronger but I still never had that security of owning who I was fast forward we got married we had two beautiful children and I was still dabbling in things I had I had done Reiki I'd done crystal courses I've done an angel intuitive course still didn't want to be different doing very well in my job I was an office manager didn't have any trouble finding a job or getting a decent pay and did my advanced diploma in accounting, found that really easy, accounting's easy for me. I started to, through some family issues, that I started to feel even more left out. I have two younger brothers and I'm the eldest and being the only girl, I guess I always felt a little bit left out because they're close and they have the same group of friends. And through a series of events, I started to feel even more left out and this was once my kids were, I think they might have been three and five. So I, I, things were going quite well on the outside, but I, this feeling of not fitting in, this feeling of feeling left out was getting bigger and bigger and the depth was getting worse and it was hurting. It was really hurting on the inside, I guess. It was hurting my soul. And there would be many times where I would just have an outburst of anger, get in the car and drive just drive, just drive away, not pick up my mobile phone. And I know there was one time I just sat in the park and then other people had come into the park. So I left the park and went around to the train station and I sat there for about half an hour, maybe an hour, I, I really don't know the time, thinking, should I jump in front of a train? That's how bad it got at that point. I actually don't know what stopped me, but something, I think it was more fear of it not working, to be honest. And I came home and I kept, I kept going then one day my husband decided, well, he didn't decide, it was my mother-in-law's 60th birthday and he went to help set up the hall. And so he left me at home with the kids and I was lying in bed. It was a particularly bad night and I heard the dog, they let the dog into the house and I could hear the dog walking around and I think I just lost it. And my husband came home and I was angry and that was the day I took a handful of sleeping tablets because I thought, that's it, I don't want to be here. And I think at the time I didn't consciously want to kill myself I just didn't want to be here and that and I didn't 
I didn't try to overanalyze what that meant. I just didn't want to be here. It was as simple as that. It wasn't, I'm trying to kill myself. It's just, I don't want to be here. Whatever that meant. Obviously, I'm still here. And mum came over, my sister-in-law came over, my husband was in the other room, and I think he'd realised the tablets I'd taken weren't that bad. I didn't know that at the time, thank goodness. And something changed in me at that point. I'm not quite sure what happened, but I think a couple of weeks later I thought, that's it, I need help. This is this is rubbish. I can't live my life like this anymore. And I rang a counsellor that I had seen many years ago. She was a spiritual counsellor. And I booked in to see her. So that happened in December. I booked in to see her in January. So that that period of three weeks later is a bit of a blur for me. It's a bit like I wasn't in my body. I felt a little bit detached from reality. And the minute I went in to see her and she, she um, works through guided meditations and getting into your psyche, the minute I, I came out of that first session, I thought, this is what I needed. This is what I need. And I had a couple of sessions with her and then went into her weekly self-development classes. And with that and kinesiology, I think it took about six months before I thought, oh, I'm not depressed anymore. But I didn't know, I still didn't know what that meant. And it was, it was a year when I finally thought, wow, I'm actually feeling okay. I'm feeling happy. Some of the things I had to do in that year were interesting because I forgot to mention one of my triggers was when I went, when my daughter started school, I had to deal with school mums and they're, they're lovely people, but all those memories from primary school and high school came back in and that need to fit in and that need to say the right thing to the right person and not feel left out, that just came back in a, in a whoosh and it, it hit me like a ton of bricks because my daughter was actually in grade at the end of grade one when I actually did take the, the sleeping tablet. So it was two years of being back in that environment that really knocked me. So that year of healing, I actually had to remove myself from anyone that I felt I felt a negative influence on me. Not a reflection on them at all. It was just how I felt around them. That if they if I felt bad around them, and I'm taking ownership for all these emotions, if I felt bad around someone, I would step back and I just remove myself. So I stopped going to any of the social things because I needed to heal. I didn't go to as many family events as I would have liked to, so I would get headaches. So I wouldn't have to go because I needed that time to heal. And that took a year. It took a good year. And I was fortunate enough because of the support I had that I didn't need to take antidepressants. Um, I'm not opposed to them at all. I just know for me, I wanted to work on the journey my way. And like I said, I was lucky enough to have the support around me to be able to do that. And after that year, I... As a kinesiologist, I want, and I knew people that were depressed, I wanted to help them. So I thought, well, how did I get better? How did I do this? And I couldn't, I couldn't articulate it. I couldn't, I couldn't say this is what I did to make my, to make me better because it was a year, it was a process. So that started the journey of me writing my journal. And I had written a few things on the day that I did um, take the tablets because I was feeling so low and I was just. I don't know why. Sometimes I just process by writing. So I had I had a notebook next to my bed with random thoughts all through the book, and it's even even now it's still hard for me to read the first chapter of my book because that was the day. I can read it, but I, I still I guess the emotion's still there, and, I, and part of me can't relate to that person anymore because I've changed so much, even though I know it was me. And so I wrote my book. Uh, or I wrote how I felt and how I had gone through that journey and decided that I wanted to publish. 
because I'd always wanted to write a book. Ironically, I've always wanted to write a fiction book, but this is the book that came out of me. And I wanted the book to be more than just my journey. So the book is my journey with exercises to help whoever's reading it implement some tips that they can use to get happy. So it's not just, you know, this is me. This, this is me. This is what I did. Now you please go and do it. You give it a go. You try. And it's an easy read. So I find that if, because when you're in that space, that headspace of being depressed, you can't take on anything heavy. Your brain just doesn't comprehend it. And during that time, I guess I also realized the impact of certain foods on my body and everyone responds differently to food. And the biggest issue I found was with the energy drinks that are out there. Uh, I'm sure you have energy drinks in the US and I would take them because I was tired. And then the day after I would be really angry and I thought there's a pattern here. So I have totally cut them out, totally cut out the energy drinks. I'd still do have a cup of coffee because I do really like my coffee, but I have cut out the energy drinks and that really got me to think about everything else in my life and what was influencing me. So I looked at my diet and I looked at what foods were impacting me. I looked at the people around me and decided, well, I don't need to be in what I thought was the in crowd because I just need to be with people that I love and I just need to be there with my family. And I guess that's my journey. I've sort of, that was, so that happened at the end of 2012 when I took the sleeping tablets and we're now in 2017. So What's that? That's four and a half years. I can't add up. My maths is really bad. And now I'm feeling really good and I'm on a mission to help people. So I want people to know that if you're going through depression, my journey at least was that nothing had happened to me to cause the depression, which for me as a logical person was really hard to, I guess, process in my mind because how could someone that had nothing happen to them be depressed and everything seemed good? So, so I guess my message is, I know there are people out there that have had terrible things happen to them and they're depressed, but people can also be depressed without having had anything terrible happen to them and that you can come out the other end and you can start to live your life with real happiness, but it really does come from, I guess, learning to like yourself and eventually love yourself and own your uniqueness. Be the person that you're meant to be and and it's okay if you're different. That's absolutely fine and that's how I live my life now. I have purple in my hair because I love colour and I, you know, I am a kinesiologist and I write about whatever I want to write about and I've now put myself out there. The funny thing is it's not as scary as I thought because there's no, there's no one telling, there's no one having a go at me, there's no one judging me and if they are, to be honest, I probably don't, they're not even on my radar so I don't. I don't mean that in a horrible way, but I don't care. So, yeah, life's really good. So I guess that's my journey. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Carolyn. That's great. I relate to a lot of things in there. Being the different kid. And I, I sometimes think that every kid is the different kid yeah. in their own heart and mind. They're yeah, all, I agree with you. Yeah. The more I talk with people, the more I realize that the the it girls – at school were also the different kid in their heart and mind and struggling yes. with it. <laughs> and, I, and that's exactly what I've seen, I guess, now that I'm on the other side of it and I see the clients that come into my clinic or the friends that I talk to because a lot of people now open up to me because I've been so raw about my emotions and, my, and what I've gone through. People open up to me and I just, it is, I think we all feel that need to fit in on some level, especially when we're younger. 
And it's only quite often, hopefully, as we get older that we realise that we can step into who we are and not worry about what other people think. Yeah, and I wish... Some people think really fondly on like elementary school and middle school. And for me, well, not usually middle school, actually. Everybody hits puberty and has a terrible time usually just (laughs) hormones and figuring things out and boys and stuff. But I think I think of those young ages as just horrible and mean. I don't remember them being sweet and gentle and playful. I mean, I did have good friends and I did play, but I I don't remember them fondly at all. That's when you hear those people that say, "I oh, would go back to high school in a minute." I'm thinking, "Oh no, oh, I wouldn't. Oh. I don't want to go anywhere near school at all." I mean, I love studying and I'll go study now, but high school and primary school, no, <laughs> not going back. Do not want to go back. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and and despite the fact that I think almost everybody, I, I really think everybody feels like they're the weird one too. However, yes. some people get picked on more than others. Some people can blend in better. Some people, you know, yes. are more able to weather things. When you're in school, if you have anything, it's almost like a an animal reaction. Anything that is a little outside the norm, and you're not just fitting in. And I I didn't have any physical things. I was just weird. Just a weird kid. <laughs> and, and now look at you, you're happy. You look happy. I am happy. <laughs> I have a show on depression, but that doesn't mean I'm not happy. And No, but that, that's a mission, I guess, to, to show other people what that they're not alone, I guess. Exactly. Everybody you gets know, depressed. That, Everybody has a dark side. Absolutely. And those people, I have a few people that go, I don't know what depression is, and I sort of look at them and I think, do you know what your emotions are telling you? Have you totally shut off from your emotions that you don't want to feel it? Because we all have those moments. It's just when it gets so bad that it's there all the time and you don't want to be here anymore that it gets, I guess, to that level where something you need to do something to help to, I don't know, dig yourself out of it somehow. But when you're there, you can't dig yourself out of it. So it's a bit of a, it's a difficult place to be. Yeah. It's extremely difficult. And that, that was another thing that I really was struck by with your story was that moment of just, you know, could I jump in front of this train? Can I take all these pills? And that is something that I don't have suicidal ideation, but I know I understand and feel compassionate toward it. A lot of people don't and misunderstand where those feelings are coming from. I, I think it's something that you know, maybe you can shed some light on. I'm not sure why people can't be compassionate about that. They can be compassionate about depression, but they want you to get over yourself. But when it comes to like really dark feelings, I think it's hard for people to understand. I think when you haven't gone through the feelings to that extent, that's where it, it, it they, they don't understand. And I do have, um, I guess I, I have clients that know people that have committed suicide and been successful at it. And, they harbour a lot of anger and resentment at that person because of the hurt that they've caused the people that are still living. But I know from the point of view of being in that space, you honestly think that everyone's going to be better off without you. That space, and that's how I felt. I actually thought my kids would be better off without me and my husband and my mum and dad and my family. And I guess that's the bit that really tugs at my heart to actually think my kids would be better off without me. And I know that anyone else going through depression and getting to that point, that's how they feel. Well, that's how, that's, I guess, from my point of view. So I guess anyone that can't understand it, 
I guess the only reason they can't understand it is because they haven't experienced those feelings. They just don't get how dark those feelings are and they're able to, as they say, snap out of it because they're not in that level of darkness. And when you're in that level of darkness, you can't snap out of it. You hear someone tell you that, but you just can't. So I guess those people that are judging those people, it's because they, they just haven't experienced it. I guess that's the only reason I could see that they, they react that way, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Did that answer your question? That, that does, because I think it's a pretty good explanation of, of that feeling, because I think most people assume that it's a very kind of self-centered action that has to do with, I'm not sure, but I've heard that before, like how selfish people say that. Whereas I think, I think you're right that when people are in that space, they can't imagine how they're doing any good in the world and them not being there would be better for everybody. So that's how I felt. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, that's a really good insight And, and it's such a horrible place to be in. Absolutely. It really is. And I see clients sometimes, and if they're really that bad, I do obviously refer them to the doctor and tell them they need they need to do whatever they need to do, whether it's medication or not. And I have clients on medication. I have clients that go to psychiatrists and psychologists. I have no problem with that at all. I say do whatever you need to do to get yourself out of that darkness, it, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. But, yeah, it's, it's – it's, I guess it's – yeah, it's really just hard to understand unless you're there. And a lot of people think – they're depressed but if they haven't had the suicidal tendencies I guess they feel maybe entitled to judge other people that have had those suicidal tendencies <laughs> yeah. but you really, you really do feel like you're doing the world a favor by going <laughs> and there's no there's no hierarchy to feelings no and so that that kind of leads me to another thing I, I really related to which was the need to hibernate that's what I always call it to pull yes. back from things and slow down and and do less and see less people. That's a huge one, and that was um, and that was a year of hibernation for me. In that in that that healing year, I really pulled back from so many people to the point that it was difficult because my son had started prep uh, the year after when I was going through this healing. So I did have to go in and out, but I was very quick with my in and outs because he he was already familiar with the school. I didn't feel the need to hang around so much because he'd seen his big sister go there be really in and out or really quick or I'd get my husband to do it who was he's always been very supportive and I just I can't I can't deal with pickup today that hibernation period of just removing yourself so that you don't feel any of those feelings that come up so you can actually heal before you go back into those environments and I still talk to these mums I still catch up with these mums nothing like I said it's not a reflection on any of these people it was all me and my perception and what I saw. And that, that is, that's the other thing is like that perception that you're the weird one or that you need to fit in and that everything is self-generated. <laughs> yes, it is. It's our perception. It's our filters. <laughs> it's the glasses we put on. <laughs> yeah. And we, we, we pick them up. We pick them up. They're, they're handed to us too. I mean, we do have, you don't choose who your family is and you don't choose how those interactions are. You, you have a limited, that's one thing I think, that's one thing I think that childhood is so difficult is that so many things come at you and through you. And I, I heard that you're in a hypnagogic stage until about seven years old where you're almost like water, where you take in whatever's happening around you is you that separation doesn't happen so well. Yes. And when I think about it that way, you get a lot of things handed to you and then you have to, as an adult, set them down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Figure out what, what happened to me and what do I need and what do I no longer need and then getting rid of the stuff you no longer need 
is really difficult because you've been programmed with it for, like you said, for the first seven years of your life, you've been programmed and not known any different. You get to an adult and you go, well, this no longer serves me, but how do I get rid of it? Because this is part of me. So you have to somehow figure out to either integrate it or just dispose of it in whatever way that you can. But it's probably always going to be a part of you. So I don't think you can ever get rid of your childhood because it's always, it's there, it's part of you. But it's learning to, I guess, process it and, and deal with it and hopefully be able to move on. Well, that it. is a perfect place to end the show. Thank you so much for being on the depression session. Thank you so much for having me. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septahelix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.